Well, I am not um, sure how legal this definition is, but Wikipedia defines a last will and testament as a legal declaration by which a person names another to manage his or her estate, here's the important part, and provide for the transfer of his or her property at death. That's a little bit of legalese, but basically a, a will states who gets what when you die. You should have a will. It helps everyone divvy up your stuff. Who gets the toaster? Who gets the dog? Who gets the car? Who gets the house? Who gets the money? For example, William, at William Shakespeare's death, it was common um, to leave at least one-third of your estate to your wife. When he died, Shakespeare left very little to his wife. He hardly even mentioned her in his will. In fact, all it says is he left her his second favorite bed. Makes you wonder who got the first. Benjamin Franklin left a wish that his daughter not engage in, quote, the expensive, vain, and useless pastime of wearing jewels. He said that because he had left her a famous painting of King Louis XVI, and on the frame around the painting were embedded 408 diamonds, and he didn't want her to take the diamonds and turn them into a necklace. Harry Houdini left instructions that his wife uh, hold an annual seance so he could communicate with her. I guess he expected to um, uh, find release from death. And so, escape, that was the word I was looking for, to escape death. So she held a seance uh, every Halloween for 10 years. I know this comes as a shock to you, but Houdini never showed up. John Bowman was a rich man with a wealthy estate who happened to believe in reincarnation. His wife and his two daughters preceded him in death. Uh, he died in 1891 and left a left $50,000 in trust for his servants to keep up his house, his estate. And part of the instructions in the will said, I want you to prepare a nightly meal so that if we show up, we won't go hungry. That $50,000, by the way, lasted, and they did that until 1950. Heinrich Hein left his entire estate to his wife, Eugenie, on the condition that she remarry. Why? Because, he said in his will, then there will be at least one man who will regret my death. <laughs> my personal favorite, because of its absurdity. T.M. Zink died in 1930. He also left $50,000 in trust for a period of 75 years. It was his hope that it would grow into $3 million, which was to be used to, to build a quote, womanless library. That was going to be the name. He wanted a library, seriously, which would have no works of women, would not be decorated with a woman's hand, and which would have a sign at every entrance that said, no women admitted. Nice guy. His daughter petitioned the court. They overturned his will, gave her the money, who, notice, by the way, was a woman. So, what, what do you want 
What do you want to leave your heirs in your will? What do you want to leave your children and your grandchildren at your death? Favorite bed? Life savings? All you've been able to accumulate? Possessions? Your houses, your lands, your cars, your jewelry? What do you want to leave? What do you want to get? See, some of you right now are salivating, thinking of all that your parents have, and you think, if I play my cards right, what do you want to leave your children? What will bring them the most happiness and the most benefit? Can I suggest this, this morning that the thing that will bring them the most help, most hope, and the most joy will be your faith? We remember from Hebrews 11 last week, without faith, it is impossible to please God. So, do the American thing. Get a bunch of stuff. Leave it to your kids. And you don't share your faith, what good will it do? Will it profit a man or a woman be he or she gains the whole world? All that stuff. And they lose their own soul. What do you show your heirs, it's your children, your grandchildren, that is the most important thing to you? What would they say if we asked them? As we continue in our study in the life of Joseph, we get to Father Jacob's death. And we found Jacob, to this point in our study, to not be a man of faith, or at least strong faith. He's been a deceiver. He's a manipulator. We found him to be a bit of a pessimist. Even though God had personally appeared to him three times, uh, he was a man of very weak faith. Now, last week we said I, there may be a reason, good reason for that. He'd lived a very difficult life. The years of his life had, had been few and unpleasant. Now he gets ready to die. And he finally, he finally seems to figure this faith thing out. He finally starts believing the promises of God. Well, how do we know that? Well, last week he's been living in we saw he's been living in Egypt with the entire family for about 17 years. Finally, finally, the time has come for his death. He calls Joseph to his sickbed, and, it, and he asks, Joseph, make me a promise. Please, when I die, do not bury me in Egypt. Promise me you'll take me back to Canaan, the land God promised my dad and, my, and grandpa. See, by this request, Jacob showed that he was beginning to believe God. That one day, that his family would leave Egypt, go back to the land God had promised. Last verse of chapter 47 from last week. Israel bowed in worship at the head of his bed. As, as Jacob lay on his deathbed, 
He worshiped God for his promises, even though he never lived to see them. He died in Egypt. It's what got him into the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. His faith till death. All of the things that could be said about Jacob, the author of Hebrews, records this. By faith, Jacob, as he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff or the head of his bed. It's kind of tough to translate. Jacob, despite his unpleasant life, went to the grave believing. And then we watched that video. Is that you? Despite your unpleasant life, doesn't compare probably to Joseph or Jacob or Pat. You're going to go to your grave believing. Not only that, Hebrews records that he, as he lay dying, he blessed each of Joseph's sons. That's our text today, Genesis 48. Why is this important? Because at his death, listen, his last will and testament was to leave his boys hope in the promises of God. That is the best thing that you can leave your children. The blessing of hope in the promise of God. You spend your life accumulating stuff that you can leave to them, good for you. The best thing you can leave them is hope. Families in Egypt, 17 years have passed, 413 years exactly remain before Moses leads them out in the Exodus. Hope, you see, needs to be encouraged and strengthened in Jacob's family. It's been a few years. we got a few years to go. Sound familiar? He does that in chapters 48 and 49. We're just going to look at chapter 48 today where we read about this event that the author of Hebrews records for us. Outline of the chapter looks like this. We're going to see an adoption. We're going to see a blessing. We're going to see an objection to that blessing. And then we're going to see the gift. Uh, We could call that divvying up stuff. In all of these things, we see Jacob's growing faith at his deathbed and seeking to pass that on to his kids. Look at it with me. Verses 1 to 12 to see the adoption. Came about after these things that Joseph told your father's sick. So he took his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, with him. When it was told to Jacob, your son Joseph has come to you. Israel collected his strength, sat up in bed. Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. Said to me, behold, I will make you fruitful and numerous. And I will make you a company of peoples and will give you this land or give this land to your descendants after you as, uh, for an everlasting possession. Your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt, they're mine. Ephraim and Manasseh. Mine, as Reuben and Simeon are. But your offspring that have been born after them shall be yours. They shall be called by the names of their brothers in their inheritance. As for me, when I came from Padan, 
Rachel died to my sorrow in the land of Canaan on the journey where there, when there was still some distance to go to Ephrath, and I buried her on the way to Ephrath. That's Bethlehem. When Israel saw Joseph's sons, he said, who are these? And Joseph said to his father, they are my sons whom God has given me here. So he said, bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were, or Jacob were so dim from age that he could not see. Joseph brought them close to him and he kissed them and embraced them. Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face. And behold, God has let me see your children as well. Joseph took them from his knees and bowed with his face to the ground. Families in Egypt, let me what happens? They're in Egypt, or they're, in, they're staying in Goshen. Joseph is likely in the capital city with Manasseh and Ephraim administering national affairs, you know, as the prime minister. Famine's now long past. Uh, family's been there in Goshen 17 years. That means Jacob's 147. Let me do the math for you. Joseph is 56, and, and the boys are probably about 20. Joseph gets word that Jacob's dad is sick. He knows it's probably a significant illness, takes his two sons with him to visit dad on what becomes his deathbed. Joseph arrives, Jacob gathers up enough strength to sit up in his bed. I mean, after all, it's his favorite son. Uh, Joseph comes in, and Jacob does what elderly people do when you go visit them in bed, right? He starts talking about the good old days. Only for Jacob, there was a very specific purpose. On his deathbed with faith now strengthening. He wants to talk to Joseph, his his son, about God. Took him a while. He starts talking about God because he knows the very best thing that he can leave his son is hope. He'll get to the stuff at the end of the chapter. Right now, the important thing is hope in the promises of God. I want you to see that. The important thing is not the car keys. The important thing is not the deed to the house. The important thing is not the 401k. It's hope. Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty, that's El Shaddai. Appeared to me at Luz, that's the old name for Bethel, in the land of Canaan. You remember that. That was the first time that I had to leave and uh, I was fleeing uh, Uncle uh, Esau and I had to run to Haran. God appeared to me and blessed me. He said to me, behold, I will make you fruitful and numerous. Now, stop right there. That sounds a little bit familiar. Because last week we saw that the, while the Egyptians were languishing um, during the famine, the Israelites were becoming fruitful and numerous. Looks to me like God's fulfilling his promises. Because you know he's a promise-keeping God. God said, I'm going to make you a company of people. That means a lot. I'm going to give this land to your descendants. Notice not you because, see, God not only knows today, he knows tomorrow. I'm going to give the land to you because you're going to die here in Egypt, but I'm going to give the land to your descendants. I'm going to make them fruitful and numerous. They're going to need a place to stay. Got that covered. Jacob says, in fact, we're going to become a great nation. I need a couple more sons. Twelve is not enough. Brings us to the adoption. Many scholars suggest that what happens here in verses 5 and following are are actually the cultural practice of the day. This is the way you would go about adopting someone. 
Jacob says to Joseph, your two sons, the ones born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you, they're mine. By that, he does not mean they're my grandsons. He means they're mine. I want to be very clear about this. They're mine just like Reuben and Simeon. Who are Reuben and Simeon? His firstborn sons. They, however, we know, have forfeited the firstborn right. And, 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 and so uh, Jacob passes over the ten boys and picks Joseph and says, I'm going to give you the double inheritance right of the firstborn your two sons are mine. Now, there's several things I want you to notice about this um, event. Several things that are unfolding here before our eyes. First, Manasseh and Ephraim were on the fast track to fame and fortune. Should, should be the next, there you go. On the fast track to fame and fortune. Here's what I want you to remember. They had just come from the capital. They were somebody. They're half Egyptian. Their maternal grandfather was a priest in the capital city of the sun god Ra. They were religiously connected. Their father, savior of the world, prime minister of Egypt. They were on, on the top rung of the social ladder. And yet Joseph apparently kept the god of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob before them. Instead of choosing to be important in a nation already great, they chose to be leaders among a nation not even in existence. And that a nation of despised shepherds. Joseph had passed his faith onto his Sons, and they chose downward mobility. There's something for you. What do you want most for your kids? And provide that education so you can get that great job and provide upward mobility. Not Joseph. Not Joseph. Most important thing to him, the God of Abraham. Isaac, and Jacob. Second, as I just noted, Manasseh and Ephraim take the place of Reuben and Simeon. Jacob ignores primogeniture. That is the right of the firstborn. Uh, we're we're going to see, we see this taking place throughout the Old Testament. If you were to look, you'd find that uh, Abel was chosen over Cain, Isaac over uh, Ishmael, Jacob over Esau, Joseph over Reuben. And that truth is taken then in the New Testament to, 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 to illustrate God's sovereign choice. He chooses whoever he wants. We see this taking place in Israel's history. Manasseh and Ephraim become more prominent tribes than the, first two, than the firstborn sons of Jacob. And Joseph, taking this inheritance, this double inheritance of the firstborn, is specifically mentioned in First Chronicles chapter 5. Look at that. It says, now the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, well, I mean, he was the firstborn, but because he defiled his father's bed, his birthright was given to the sons of Joseph. Third, throughout the Old Testament, when the 12 tribes are named, they usually include the names of Joseph's two sons. So he had 12 sons, but instead of Joseph, 
We're going to name two, and you're doing the math. If you're really quick and you go, wait, that's 13 tribes, you'd be right. But you see, passed over Reuben and Simeon and Levi, forfeited the firstborn right because of what he did with his brother Simeon. And Levi gets scattered throughout Israel, and they do not receive an, an inheritance in the land. And so when you read of the 12 tribes of Israel, it does, usually does not include Joseph nor, nor Levi. Fourth, um, Jacob's fourth son, Judah, inherits the firstborn right of supremacy. First Chronicles 5, 2, we just read 5, 1 says, Though Judah prevailed over his brothers and from him came the leader, eh, the birthright belonged to Joseph. He, Judah becomes the leading tribe such that when this kingdom is divided ten Tribes in the north, two in the south. The southern kingdom becomes known collectively as what? Judah. Judah. Finally, notice how Jacob subtly switches the two boys' names around. If you name your children, those of you who had children, start with the oldest, go to the youngest. That's just the way you do it. Uh, not here. He didn't say Manasseh and Ephraim. He says Ephraim and Manasseh, hinting at Manasseh's supremacy. We'll get to that. You go, that's just a, that, look at that. I mean, that's just a, that's a bunch of, that's a bunch of detail. Faithfully carried out in Israel's future because Jacob was acting on the promise of God. The end of chapter 46, I believe God is a promise-keeping God. I believe he's going to take the family back. Bury me there. Uh, now he says, he, not only do I believe the promise, he acts on the promise. I'm giving Joseph the right of the firstborn. I, I, I'm giving my sons and my grandsons the firstborn right of inheritance where? He went to the grave believing God, and he passed, he sought to pass on his faith to his sons. Goes on in verse 6 to tell Joseph, any other sons you have, they're yours. These two mine, you know, there's, but by the way, uh, they're not going to become tribes. They'll be reckoned by their two older brothers. They'll either be of the tribe of Manasseh or the tribe of Ephraim. Throws us a bit of a curveball in verse 7. As an elderly man, he starts reminiscing about the past again. And this time he starts talking about his favorite wife, Rachel. Talks about how when she died, he buried her on the way to Bethlehem. Why does he mention her here? Is this just nostalgia? No. Most scholars feel that what he is doing is saying, had my wife Rachel lived, she would have given me more sons. She didn't, so I'll give her more. Not only will there be Joseph and Benjamin, now there'll be Manasseh and Ephraim. Brings us to the actual adoption ceremony in verses 8 to 12. Now, verse 10 tells us that Jacob's eyes were so dim that he couldn't see very well. In verse 8, when he sees Joseph's sons kind of standing across the room, he says, who, who are these? You can't see them clearly. Who are these? But it's also possible that he's actually entering into a formal adoption process here. Sees these boys. He knows who they are. They're standing across the room, but he wants it stated clearly for the record. Who are these? Joseph says, these are Manasseh and Ephraim. Everybody got that? I want to make sure that you understand. It's kind of like when I do a wedding. I do a wedding you know, the father escorts the bride down, the music stops, they stop, and I say, who gives this woman to be married to this man? It's not like I don't know. We just had the rehearsal the night before. I'm not that dumb. 
ceremony. See? Possibly, very possibly the same thing happened here. They're entering into this formal ceremony. And Joseph says, they're my sons whom God has given me. Now, will you stop right there? See, we read the Bible and we get used to God talk. This is conversation going on. These are the sons that God has given me. Would you please notice how freely Jacob and Joseph speak of God in front of the boys? One of the best ways that you can pass your faith to your children is to speak of God regularly and naturally like that you really believe that he exists. The only time you mention his name is at grace, you know, right before the meal. What are you communicating to your kids? That he's not really very important. Jacob says, bring them to me that I may bless them. Blessing actually happens in verse 15, but we, I have to adopt them officially first. Br- brings them close. Jacob kisses and embraces them. Jacob continues with the God talk, praising God in the presence of the grandsons for God's care. Never expected to see you, Joseph. And God let me see, not only you, but your children. Joseph took the boys from Jacob's knees. It's not like the 20-year-olds were sitting on grandpa's knees. They probably knelt at his bed so he could kiss and embrace them. Joseph removes them from the knees, and then he bows with his face to the ground. Don't miss that. Remember that dream in Genesis 37? Who's who's Joseph now? He's prime minister. He's very likely the second most powerful man on the planet. And he's bowing in front of an old man. This is an act of obedience. Most feel it's not an act of worship, it's an act of obedience. You want your children to respect you when they're old, then respect your parents when they're old. Pass your faith on to your kids. Brings us very quickly to the second point. Last three will go, obviously, much more quickly. See the actual blessing in verses 13 and following say this. Joseph took them both, Ephraim, with his right hand, um, toward Israel's left um, and Manasseh with his left hand toward Israel's right and brought them close to him. But Israel stretched out his hand, his right hand, and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on Manasseh, crossing his hands. Although Manasseh was the firstborn, he blessed Joseph and said, the God before whom my father, fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel, the angel of the Lord, who has redeemed me from all evil, bless these lads. And may my name live on in them and the names of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and may they grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. Okay, so here's what happens. Jacob, recognizing that dad's eyes are a little feeble and wants to make it easy for dad, he takes um, Manasseh in his left hand and Ephraim in his right hand so that when he comes to dad, you turn around and you got Manasseh, the older, in the right hand. But he walks up and Jacob, I mean, he's old, he's a little feeble, crosses his hands. That's awkward. Uh, 
Joseph is uh, stunned. Jacob, you see, may have had poor eyesight, but he still had good insight. That's good. I stole that from somebody. And then now Jacob blesses the boys. And he starts by recounting God's blessings in the past. Don't miss that. He's blessing the, the grandsons. We don't do that very we don't do that very much anymore. We certainly don't have any official ceremony. They did. But as, as, he, as he's blessing the boys, he talked about God. He introduces them to God. It's not like he hadn't talked about it. But he, I want you to understand the God I'm talking about. This God is the one before whom dad and grandpa walked. He's binding them to family lineage. This God, second, is the one who's been the shepherd all the days of my life. This God has cared for me. See, Jacob is starting to understand that all things were not against him, that all things were for him. God's walked before me. That's a little different, isn't it? And third, this God has been the angel who has redeemed me from evil. The angel of the Lord is often seen in the Old Testament as showing up in times of distress and danger. He did that in Jacob's Life. So this, this God is our family God. This God um, has cared for me. This God has protected me. I don't understand. I'm going to bless you in the name of that God. Bless the lads in the same way. He calls on God to bless them in their presence, helping the boys to understand. Listen, I want you to understand something. I am blessing you, but if there's going to be blessing on your life, it's going to come from one source. It's going to come from God. It's not going to come from my 401k. And what do we spend our whole lives doing? Building an empire that we can leave to the kids. If they're going to be blessed, it's going to come from one place. It's going to come from God Almighty. May my name live on in them means may they be the God. May they follow the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Brings us to the objection, verses 17 to 20. Joseph kind of comes to his senses. He's been frozen in dismay says this, Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on Ephraim's head. It displeased him. He actually saw it as evil. And he grasped his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. Joseph said to his father, not so, my father, for this one is the firstborn. Place your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also would become a people and he will be great, but younger brother will be greater than he. His descendants shall become a multitude of Nations And he blessed them that day, saying, by you, Israel, will pronounce blessings, saying, may God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. Joseph saw what was transpiring here. He tries to stop it, physically remove the hand from Ephraim's head. And, and, but Jacob refuses and says, I, I know. Uh, we don't know how he knew, but he knew. Not only did Jacob know what he was doing, he somehow knew that what he was doing was under the divine direction of God. He says, both of them are going to be great tribes. They're both going to be great tribes. I've blessed them equally. But you need to understand that Ephraim is going to be greater. And he does. 
Remember I said, you have those 12 tribes, and then they divide, and there's 10 in the north and two in the south, and the two in the south become known collectively as Judah. The 10 in the north become collectively known as Israel or sometimes Ephraim. They take a leadership role. Last point, last point, very quickly, last two verses of the chapter, we finally get to the dividing up of the stuff. Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I am about to die. But God will be with you. That's a little different. I'm going to go down to my grave in sorrow. God will be with you just like he's been with me. He'll bring you back to the land of your father's. I give you one portion more than your brothers, because you're still the favorite, which I took from the hand of of the Amorite with my sword and the bow. I'm about to die. God will be with you. Listen, last will and testament. The best thing that you can leave your children is hope in the promises of God. God's going to be with you. divvies up a piece of property we don't know when that happened when he took that from the Amorites but even that act is an act of faith when you go back you get that special land because I believe that God is a promise keeping God so there you have it the very best thing that you can leave your kids is hope in the promise of God now listen up for us it is hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ If you work all of your life to give your family a comfortable home with lots of nice stuff and a whopping inheritance, but you fail to communicate to them the hope of Jesus Christ, listen very carefully, you have failed miserably. I did not say it is your job to make your children believe. You can't do that. I said it is your job to make sure that they have the opportunity to know Jesus Christ and to commit their life to Him. It is your responsibility to demonstrate by your life what is the most important thing to you. It's your hope. And so, right now, last question. By your life, what do you demonstrate to your children What do you demonstrate is the most important thing in your life? Father, um, I want to communicate to my children the hope of the gospel. I want you to draw them to yourself. But you've left me the responsibility of pouring my faith into them. Help me not to concentrate on the things of this Life, but the things of eternity. Help me to leave them the hope of the gospel. In Christ's name, amen. I want you to understand that our hope is singly and simply in the gospel of Jesus Christ.